0: Welcome to season three of the Bible for My Ordinary Life podcast. My name is Alicia Parker and I'll be your host. Are you interested in what the Bible really means? Are wondering how it's relevant to life today? If so, this podcast is for you. In this season, we are going back to where it all begins, the book of Genesis. No matter what your age or your background or your experience is with the Bible, I believe you can find something fresh and meaningful every time you study it. Hi, my name's Ariana. The Bible is for everyone. (laughs) Thanks, Ariana. All right, friends, let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome back, or welcome for the first time if you're new to this podcast. We've just started our third season of The Bible for the Ordinary Life, and we're talking through the first half of Genesis together. Now, in our last episode, we covered the first three days of creation, so today... We're actually gonna start up back on day three and finish the rest of this narrative about the six actual days of creation. Are you ready to put on your ancient Hebrew mind frame? My what, you might be thinking? I wanna remind you that we naturally approach anything we read with our own cultural mindset and we comprehend it like we've been taught to comprehend modern English writing. And it's not always wise to do that with ancient writings from other cultures. When we read and think like a modern English-speaking Westerner, we're prone to miss things and misinterpret things that the original audience would have either perceived or not interpreted the way we do. Now, I'm not suggesting we all become scholars in ancient Hebrew literature style. This is the Bible for the Ordinary Life podcast, not the Bible for the Scholar of Ancient Hebrew podcast. I'm only suggesting that we're mindful when we read this text in English, to be careful of our tendency to make assumptions because of what we're reading in English and because of how we've been taught to think. Many people approach Genesis 1 and 2 looking for connections and support or maybe even counterclaims to modern science. And while some of that might exist, I don't think that's why the first two chapters of Genesis were written. So before we really dig into today's talk, Let's talk about the purpose of this narrative. Now, if you're an ancient Israelite and you want to know about your ancestors, how do you find that information out? Do you open up your Amazon app on your cell phone and search for a genealogy book to have delivered in two days or less? Do you log into Ancestry.com and start digging through historical records? Or do you pull up videos that have been passed down and watch recordings of your great-grandparents and your grandparents? (laughs) Obviously not. None of these things existed. The only way to pass down information was through oral storytelling. Now, before you and I could read, this was how we learned, right? We listened to stories. And the easiest stories to remember go something like this. Five little monkeys jumping on the bed. Can you finish that? Of course you can, right? One fell off and bumped his head. Mama called the doctor and the doctor said... No more monkeys jumping on the bed. How about this one? Jack and Jill went up a hill. Now you know what's next, right? To fetch a pail of water, Jack fell down and broke his crown and Jill came tumbling after. Why is it so easy to remember these? It's because of repetition and rhyming. Now these are silly little stories, but they stick with us and we could easily recite them to our children or grandchildren without making any mistakes or leaving pieces out because they are so memorable. Okay, so think like an ancient Hebrew. If you want to pass on stories of your ancestors, of your past, and you have no way to record and store that information in written form, then the next best thing is to pass them on orally. And to do so in a way that's memorable. So much of ancient Hebrew writing has a rhythmic style to it, or... There are rhymes and repetitions used to make things easier to remember. There's a lot of play on words in Hebrew that will not come through in English, and when I study and come across those, I'll try to make note of them for you. The other really interesting difference about how ancient cultures, including the Hebrew culture, communicated is that in storytelling, it was common to repeat portions of the story, but to tell it in a new way. And most likely, This will explain why portions of creation are repeated in chapter 2 of Genesis, but more on that later as we get into Genesis 2. For now, let's just be mindful of the original author and audience and their cultural context and take a look at the rest of Genesis chapter 1. We left off in our previous time together in verse 13. It's the third day of creation. So I'm going to back up and read that whole day again, which starts in verse 9. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. It was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered the waters he called seas. God saw that it was good. God said, let the land produce vegetation, plants yielding seeds and trees on the land bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. It was so. The land produced vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kind. God saw that it was good. There was evening, and there was morning, a third day. Two major events happen on the third day. First, God gathers the water together and lets dry land appear. This act is what formed the oceans and the continents. Now, I imagine that the earth looked much different than our globe does today. But regardless, earth is taking on more and more shape and definition. God is dividing the waters from the land, just like he divided darkness and light, and then waters from the sky. Now, in verse 11, God creates plants. And the author lists three major types of plants. The first thing is a word that can mean grasses. Now, in the net two version, which is what I read from Bible.org, it's translated as vegetation. And some commentators suggest that this is a broad term for all plants, and then there are two listed after that are specific kind of plants, the seed-bearing and the fruit-bearing. And if you compare verse 11 and 12, it seems like the same thing is being said. In verse 11, God says, Let there be... And in verse 12, we read that the land produced what God said it should be. It definitely feels repetitive when you read it in English. And at the end of it, God sees that it was good. Now in verse 13, the author declares that there's evening and morning, just like we saw in day one and two. And all this repetition makes for an easy way to remember and tell a story. Just like... Mama called the doctor and the doctor said, no more monkeys jumping on the bed. But this time we have, God saw that it was good and it was evening and it was morning and a day is numbered. Now let's take just a minute to talk about these plants that were made on day three. First of all, the writer is specific to point out that there are plants bearing seeds and trees bearing fruit with seeds. Now what's the purpose of a seed? I'm so glad you asked. The biology teacher in me really wants to share. The purpose of the seed is to propagate life, to carry it on, to create generations. A seed contains the genetics for a new organism and enough food stored in it to sustain life until food can be made by the plant itself. God intended for his creation to be sustained and for living things to replicate through seeds. Now, there's a lot of seed imagery in the first few chapters of genesis it's starting right here and we'll talk more about it as we progress now, seed imagery will actually show up all the way into the new testament as well but i'm gonna get ahead of myself if i go there so let's stick with this we've got seed-bearing plants and fruit-bearing trees that also have seeds and another thing that the writer points out is that there's different kinds now again We're reading ancient Hebrew. And so maybe in modern English, we wouldn't use the word different kinds. We'd say there are different species. Or if we're being a little less scientific, we'd say there's a lot of variety. But let's not focus on the science here. I'll say it again. I don't think the purpose of these chapters is to provide a step-by-step how to create a universe guidebook. Let's focus on the creator. God created abundance. He created variety. He created a way for life to survive, and he saw that it was good. This is about ancient Hebrews telling their origin story with God as the centerpiece, not science. It's who, not how. Now let's keep this in mind as we read day four. I'm going to read verses 14 through 19, and as I do, Listen for the repetition and the style of the storytelling. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them be signs to indicate seasons and days and years and let them serve as lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on earth. It was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night. He made the stars also. God placed the lights in the expanse of the sky to shine on the earth, to preside over the day and the night, and to separate the light from darkness. God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Did you hear the phrases being repeated? In verse 14, God says, let there be lights. And he gives a few reasons for the lights. First, he says to separate the day from the night then for them to be signs to indicate seasons and days and years. And in verse 15, he gives a final reason, which is to serve as lights in the expanse of the sky to give light to the earth. And then verse 16 repeats what we just learned, but specifies that God made those lights that he just said, let there be. Then the writer expands a bit to say that the greater light ruled the day, so that would be the sun, And the lesser light ruled the night, which, of course, would be the moon. Verse 16 also notes he made the stars. And in verse 17, it tells us that God places those lights in the sky and relists the same three reasons we saw in verses 14 and 15. Repetition. And then the writer tells us that God saw it was good. This is, again, a repeated phrase. And then in verse 19, we see the same phrase we've seen before, that there was evening and morning and a fourth day. There's a rhythm that's developed in telling about each day and including some of these same phrases as the author explains what happened on each day. Now, much has been written and discussed about the creation of light before the creation of the sun, moon, and stars. How could there be evening and morning the first three days without a sun or a moon? How could evolution be true if plants were made on day three, which was millions of years before day four when the sun and the moon were made? An ancient Hebrew wouldn't have had any concerns because they weren't listening to or reciting this narrative to teach us science. This is about their God and their origins. The creation of the sun and the moon is about purpose. It's about marking time for earth. Notice the purposes that are explicit here. To indicate day from night. To differentiate seasons, days, and years. God is bringing order and purpose out of chaos. And he sees that this order and this purpose is good. Now, this brings us to the fifth day. Verses 20 through 23 cover this day. We'll see very similar language to what we saw on the previous day. Here's what the Net 2 version says. God said, Let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the sky. And God created the great sea creatures, and every living and moving thing with which the water swarmed, according to their kinds, and every winged bird... According to its kind. God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the water and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. Just like with the plants, the first thing the writer tells us is that God says, let there be. And in this case, he says, let there be creatures in the water and creatures in the sky. Then in the next verse, just like with the plants, the writer describes what God creates. He lists great sea creatures, every living thing in the water, and every winged bird. It's that same rhythmic narrative as we saw in the plants. And then again, just like in the plants, we read that God created the animals in the sea and the creatures in the air according to their kind, and that God saw that this was good. Now, verse 22 Deviates a little bit from this pattern. In verse 22, it says, God blessed them. Now, God did not bless the plants, He blessed the creatures and tells them to be fruitful and multiply. And the sentiment here is that God is enabling them to reproduce. It's the beginning of this theme that will develop, this theme that declares that the ability to reproduce and sustain creation is a blessing, being fruitful. And right here, I could be so tempted to delve into science and talk about the intricacies of meiosis and connect the dots we have from science with the dots we have in Genesis. But bear with me as I repeat myself, I don't think that's the purpose here. And let's be honest, you probably aren't listening to this because you want me to talk about meiosis. Purpose is not a scientific how-to explanation of Earth's origins or please, please tell me all about meiosis and how that works. No, the purpose is to craft a narrative about our creator. What we see here is that God blesses fruitfulness. We already know he sees order, purpose, and variety as good, and we now know that he also wants creation to sustain itself and that fruitfulness is blessed. Now, if you were an ancient Hebrew, you would no doubt encounter other ancient cultures and they would have their own creation stories. There are similarities actually, but a striking difference in the Hebrew narrative is that there is only one God and he is eternal. The Egyptians and the Babylonians and the Canaanites, they all had creation stories involving multiple gods. And frankly, when you read the history, some of these gods They were real jerks. And so, as this narrative develops, we learn more and more about the Hebrew God and who He is. His character is very different from the gods of the surrounding culture. So, let's continue. Day six. Day six covers two major creative events. It's described in verses 24 through 31. So, it's a bit longer than our previous two days. So, I'm going to read these verses. And as I do, listen for the parallels to the other days and the repeated phrases. Okay, here we go. I'm starting in verse 24 of Genesis 1. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, cattle, creeping things, and wild animals, each according to its kind. It was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the cattle according to their kinds, and the creatures that creep along the ground according to their kinds. God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, after our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move on the earth. God created humankind in his own image, In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I now give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the entire earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and to all the animals of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has living breath in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Phew! Okay, we've got a lot to unpack from day six. Let's start with verse 24. Just like before, we have a series of statements. First, God says, let the land produce. We've we've seen this before with God saying, let there be. And here he says, let the land produce creatures. And he lists three basic categories. And like before, it says, according to their kinds. Then we have a statement that seems a bit repetitive in verse 25, where the author tells us that God created these animals. And again, lists all three types. And this is that same literary repetition pattern from day three, four, and five. And as before, he created three types of plants, and now we see three types of animals. And in the ESV version, it's translated livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth. And at the end of verse 25, it follows the same pattern of the other days. God saw that it was good, but the day isn't over. In verse 26, God makes another statement. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, I do want to point out the plural pronoun here, but I'm going to save a discussion on this for a later episode. God says, let us. There are a few different ways people have interpreted this over the years, but I want to emphasize that the ancient Hebrews were not bothered by this. They still had a belief system that was founded on one God, not multiple gods. Now, their contemporary civilizations like the Babylonians and the Egyptians and the Canaanites, they all had belief systems with multiple gods, and the gods they believed in were often mean, selfish, and uncaring. The fact that God says, let us, could allude to the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Or it could refer to the divine council. And if that's a new concept for you, I'll address the divine counsel in a future podcast as well. But for now, let's try to think like an ancient Hebrew and see this plural pronoun and be comfortable with our belief in one true God. Remember in last episode, the word God really means spiritual being. And in Hebrew, it's often used as a plural anyway. So this wasn't bothersome for them. So God declares, let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. And then he gives the reason to rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move on the earth. And verse 27 then follows the pattern we've seen. It states that God created what he said he would in the previous verse. It states that God created what he said he would in the previous verse. And it's got a bit of a rhythmic repetition, even in English. God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Do you hear that rhythm? Do you feel that sense of repetition? Now, this image that the writer speaks about is most certainly not that we have a physical body that looks like God's body. God is a spiritual being. And in fact, remember that Hebrew word for God is really Elohim. It means supreme spiritual being. And so the likeness spoken about here is probably our spiritual nature. No other created being has a relationship with God. We see established in these early chapters of Genesis a relationship between God and humans. And God gives a blessing and a purpose to the humans. In verse 28 through 30, God tells them to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth And he also said that all seed-bearing plants and fruit trees are to be their food. He tells the humans to rule over creation. And then verse 31 repeats once again that God saw all that he had made. But this time he sees that it was very good indeed. And there was evening and morning. And this was the sixth day. So... Let's turn our attention to what we've learned about our creator from this. We've seen that God created abundance. He created variety. He created a way for life to survive. He blesses fruitfulness. We know that he sees order and purpose and variety as good. We now know that he also wants creation to sustain itself and that fruitfulness is blessed. And that humans are created his image. We know that God provides for us. He provided a wealth of food for humanity and for all of his living creatures. He didn't just make a big bang and then let us all evolve and figure things out while he sat back watching it unfold. Now in chapter two, we'll learn more about him. But if you've read the Bible at all, you know that God is personal and loving, compassionate, and he wants a relationship with us creation week isn't over next episode we'll talk about the final day the day of rest but at this point in the narrative the stage is set ancient hebrews passed the story down from generation to generation as the stage on which the entire rest of the bible will be played out in the beginning god the supreme spiritual being created the heavens, and the earth. And through those creative acts, we learn that God is a God of order, purpose, variety, blessing, provision, and goodness. It's 2021 at the time of this podcast recording. The story we just read, which was told by the ancient Hebrews about the origins of the earth, is still being told today. The Egyptian story, the Babylonian story, the Canaanite story, and many, many others have been labeled mythology, historical fiction. But the story told in the Bible persists. We may not understand every detail of it. We may find that our current understanding of science doesn't seem to align with how the narrative is written. We may disagree on interpreting a literal six-day creation or a much longer spans between creative acts. But I believe that the God who spoke the world into existence, as we have read about in Genesis 1, is the very same God who desires a relationship with each one of us today. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoy what you heard. Don't forget to leave a review and connect with us on Instagram. The Bible is for everyone.